Hey guys, what's going on? Today we are talking about another disappearance. This one is the disappearance of Sarah Ann Wood, who was from New York and she was born in 1981 and disappeared in 1993 at the age of 12. Sarah Ann Wood has had a great legacy um, since her disappearance. She has been listed on the Charlie Project, missingkids.org. There are um, rewards for her disappearance. There has been all kinds of things with trying to find her, raise money in her honor. There's been bike rides and walks and things like that. Her family also founded the Sarah Ann Wood Rescue Center, and that was in um, Mo into the Mohawk Valley branch of the National Care for Missing and Exploited Children, and still remains operational um, on National Mission Mission Children's Day. Excuse me, that's a mouthful. They do stuff every year to try to raise awareness not only for her but to disappearances of children all over the world. Um, it is very nice to see, even in the wake of such tragedy, that they are still keeping her name alive and keeping up with trying to find her and other missing children. I think that is wonderful. But with all of that being said, let's talk the disappearance of Sarah Ann Wood. So as I said, we are talking about the disappearance of Sarah Ann Wood, who was born on March 4th, 1981 in New York. She was one of three children. She had two siblings, Dusty and Nikki. Her parents were Robert and Francis Wood, and her father was a pastor at Norwich Corners Presbyterian Church in the community of Sequoiat, New York, where they all went to church, and they also lived in Hackadam Road in Sequoiat, um, where he worked at the church. Sarah was a extremely intelligent child. She was a religious child considering her raising, and she also loved to dance and write and read poetry. Her brother said that he was she was a devout fan of Dolly Parton and had a very giving personality like Dolly Parton does. Um, they also say that Staff and Sarah's friends at school said the same thing about her. They also said she was the happiest little girl. She would giggle all the time and she would get me laughing and the whole class laughing. And the teacher would have to turn around and think, okay, I'm the teacher. Stop laughing at everything that comes out of her mouth. Um, and that was Nancy Waldeck that said that she was one of the teachers at Sarah's elementary school. So Sarah was just a fun-loving little girl who kind of liked to be the center of the tension, life of the party, and had a very wonderful, happy little personality. Um, so on August 18th, 1993, Sarah was seen riding her bicycle, which was one of her other favorite things to do, up a steep hill um, on Hackadam Road in Frankfurt, New York. I could be butchering the name of that road. That's just how it looks to me. So that's what I'm saying. Um, if I'm wrong, feel free to let me know. Um, of course, this was also the area where her father was a pastor and where they lived. So they always felt it was safe for her to 
ride around her bike um, and enjoy doing one of her favorite things. When she was riding, she was carrying a church songbook, a vacation Bible school book, and a display board. Um, and her last sighting was seen half a mile from her home. Um, at the time of the sighting, Sarah was riding her bicycle, although according to her abductor, she had dismounted her bike and was walking and pushing the bike by the time he spotted her. She was wearing a pink Guess Who t-shirt that was embroidered on the front with turquoise blue shorts and brown sandals, and she was also wearing her glasses, which were her prescription glasses, not sunglasses or anything of that nature. Um, She had shoulder-length curly brown hair, blue eyes, and freckles. She had scars on both of her legs, and um, one toe on each of her feet was disabled. She was also 96 pounds. So when Sarah went missing, like I said, she was in her neighborhood, so it was pretty quick to, you know, be known that she was missing. They said that they figured out within an hour um, that her parents and her siblings figured out that she was gone. Um, They reported it to the police uh, the same afternoon, and several hundred troopers and volunteer firefighters came out to search several dozen square miles of where she was last seen, which is incredible because the fact that it happened so fast, knowing that the first 48 hours is the most crucial is very, it's very good to see because that doesn't happen all the time. Um, Sarah's family immediately pursued all methods trying to locate her. They conducted searches around their neighborhood. They made missing person flyers. They gave out his missing person flyers to the neighborhood. They hung them up. They did find her bicycle leaning against a tree several yards away from the road that they live on. And they also found in the area of her bicycle that her coloring book and crayon were hidden in the brush near to where her bike was found. They also figured out that she had been transported into a vehicle because she wasn't one to just leave her bike and go somewhere else and leave her things. She was very aware of what she was doing. She knew that she needed to take care of her things so she wouldn't have just left and walked away from all of her stuff and especially without telling anyone what she was doing. So they did search, like I said, the vicinity of Sarah's disappearance. They also searched other areas um, with following five days after her disappearance with the forest rangers and the state police. They looked all around her neighborhood. They looked all around places that they lived. They looked in good efforts where they think people might be hiding or would go when they abducted someone, but all searches ended up inconclusive. They never found the child or clues to where she would be, but they did have extensive news coverage that a lot of upstate New York would see, knowing that considerable media attention would hopefully help solve her case faster. Um, They received over a thousand leads after doing all of the media And um, all of them, of course, ended up inconclusive as well. 
and they decided to make a um, public reward for Sarah's return that ultimately reached over $150,000. Police members also searched um, and provided refreshments for volunteers and investigators. They also wore teal ribbons symbolizing Sarah that they placed in public locations to keep her memory alive in this time and to say we have not given up hope. By the week after she disappeared in efforts to recover her, her search had expanded statewide and then nationwide. This story blew up quickly, which was so wonderful to see. Um, All information and development that came through pertaining to the search was relayed into an improvised headquarters that they called the Rescue Sarah Center located in New Hartford, New York. Thousands and thousands of missing person posters were circulated across America and they broadcast her abduction on 48 Hours and America's Most Wanted. So her story got out there very, very fast. So in 1996, in a turn of events, A janitor who was 45 years old at the time named Louis Stephen Lent Jr. was formally charged with Sarah's abduction and murder. He had been arrested and convicted of attempting to abduct a 12-year-old girl named Rebecca on January 7, 1994 at gunpoint in Pittsfield. The attempted abduction failed when the child fiend a severe asthma attack as he attempted to drag her by her backpack into his truck and she was able to free her arms from the strap of her bag and leave. His attempted abduction of Rebecca was observed by an eyewitness who followed him from a discreet distance and noted his license plates. Then he relayed this information to the police, and they found him. When they found Lewis, they figured out in his vehicle that he had duct tape, a knife, a gun, a pair of children's sunglasses, and candy. They also found her backpack and a loaded revolver. So, Lewis had tried to do this before. Of course, he was a good suspect for Sarah's abduction. They also searched his home where they found a private chamber in the process of construction beneath his house, which Lewis said was for the sole purpose for restraining and abusing future victims, primarily female, before he killed them. He further elaborated his ideal victims would be between the ages of 12 and 17, with long hair and just beginning to develop physically who he could take out from this area of confinement whenever he desired to abuse. The chamber was incomplete, so he did not have any victims in that chamber, thankfully. Um, So that was good to know. But any victims he successfully did kidnap in the meantime would be used for what he called quickies before their murder. And that is not something anybody wanted to hear or know about because he is a disgusting man. So Lewis was sentenced to serve a term of 17 and 20 years in prison for Rebecca's attempted abduction. Um, And then, of course, 
later confessed to Sarah's abduction. Shortly after Lewis was arrested for the abduction, they reviewed a teletype of the events where the victim profile in general circumstances closely matched Sarah's abduction. And they decided maybe we should interrogate him about this as well. This seems to be part of something that he, you know, wants to do, enjoys doing. So maybe he had a hand in Sarah's abduction as well. So they interrogated him after his arrest and he soon confessed to Sarah's rape and murder in addition to an abduction of a 12-year-old girl in Pittsfield, Massachusetts um, in October 22nd, 1990. Excuse me, not a girl. This one was a boy named James Joseph Bernardo. So, Lent, a.k.a. Lewis, claimed to have encountered James outside of a movie theater where he worked as a janitor. He offered James $5 to move chairs in the theater, and James accepted. Um, inside the theater... Lewis bound James's hand behind his back at knife point and then drove him home where he was bound by the wrist and ankles to Lewis's bed. The next morning, he drove James to an area in Woodland in Newfield, New York, where he strangled him to death with rope. Um, James's body was found by hunters several weeks after his abduction and the duct tape that was placed on James's mouth was discovered to match the duct tape that Lewis had in his vehicle at the time of his arrest. So like I said, Lewis also confessed to kidnapping Sarah. He said that she was walking her walking her bicycle, not her vehicle, excuse me, up the road. He dragged her into his van at knife point and bound her hands and drove to the mountains where he sexually assaulted her before bludgeoning her with a tree branch as she begged for her life. He then buried her in a shallow grave near Racket Lake at the point of the near town of Inlet without ensuring she was dead as opposed to simply unconscious before he had buried her. He drew a map of the location to her burial to assist investigators in the recovery of Sarah. So, of course, they took it upon themselves to use this map and believe him in hopes of finding Sarah. They looked around the lake. Um, the search lasted over two weeks and involved over 100 state troopers. They also involved the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation Police, civilian volunteers, and over 50 personnel from the Griffiths Air Force Base. They also used search and rescue dogs and heavy equipment in the search for Sarah, which would also be, if this was the truth, a just recovery of her remains. These extensive efforts in the two weeks that they searched with these many, many, many volunteers proved fruitless. They went back to Lewis and asked him, we followed your map. Nothing was there. Are you telling us the truth? He claimed that she had not actually been buried at that location, although he did now refuse to disclose the actual whereabouts of her remains, that he had buried another victim's body close to hers, and he did not want that victim's body to be found. So, of course, Lewis was going to be tried for both of these crimes, but they did try him separately for both of these crimes. 
He pleaded guilty to James' abduction and murder in 1996 in June and received a life sentence without the possibility of parole. Um, nine days after pleading guilty to James's murder, he pleaded guilty to Sarah's abduction, rape, and murder. Although her family was not present in the courtroom, he still refused to provide any information regarding where Sarah was located. In the months before his sentencing, he refused a plea bargain where he would not have to serve his life in a state prison if he told them where Sarah was. He said no. He was not going to give this information out. He just wasn't going to do it. There was no way. Um, Sam, Sarah's family tried and tried many things, but James, or excuse me, Lewis just said no. He was not going to give up this information. A final request from the judge, Judge Kirk, to Lewis to reveal the location of her body prior to his sentencing was also ignored. So the judge said that he would have no hesitation giving Lewis the death penalty in this case. He's like, if you're not going to give me anything, what's the point? We are going to give you the death penalty because clearly you're not going to help us. So we are not going to help you. Currently, or at the time of this article that I was reading, he was incarcerated at Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Investigators did not discontinue uh, visits to him because they wanted to get the information out of where Sarah was actually buried. They said in a 2013 interview that he has misled them intentionally in a number of different areas, but given them all the information they need to find the location, he just hasn't given them the final place because they think he is challenging them to find it themselves. Um, which to me is absolutely crazy, but there's always, always, always criminals that do things like this that think that they can just say whatever they want because they don't have to give you information. They already did it and they're already in prison for it. So in 2013, Lewis confessed to the abduction and murder of a 16-year-old James Donald Lusher, a mentally disabled teenager who disappeared while riding his bike in Blandford, Massachusetts, to his grandmother's house. He agreed to confess to this murder in exchange for not being prosecuted. Um, he was abducted close to Westfield, Massachusetts home, and his body was discarded in the town of Beckett. Lewis is also considered a suspect in the 1986 disappearance of a child named Tammy Ann McCormick, um, she was from Sarasota Springs and she went to Sarasota Springs Junior High School. She was last seen by her older sister who told her of her intentions of hitchhiking to high school or hitchhiking to her junior high school and she never arrived. Um, so like I said, he is also a suspect in that case. He... <laughs> It's just disgusting, truly, truly, truly. Despite them still trying and trying to talk to him and trying to get information, they still have not found Sarah's remains as of this year, 2023, and her body remains undiscovered. Her family still holds out hope that she will be found so that they can give her a Christian burial 
close to her family members, which is what she would have wanted and what she deserves. There was also some things, and I saw a few articles saying it, that around the Sarah Wood discussion, he did, Lewis did recant his statement. Um, There wasn't a lot of information. I looked and looked and looked. They did say he recanted. They never said why. They never said if he was joking. They never said anything and anything that I looked for. Um, So I'm not really sure about that or what happened with that. Um, But they did say that Lewis did recant his statement. Um, There has also been articles like there's one from the Rome Centennial um, this year where they talked about Sarah. They said, it has continued through every district attorney up through my taking over the DA office and the New York State Police Major Crimes has worked on this from day one, probably nearly every single day since Sarah's disappearance for the last 30 years. Um, Lewis is still currently serving a life sentence in a Massachusetts prison, and they think that this case is very important because it had such a profound impact on everyone in Herkimer County. From the day that she was taken, everything changed dramatically for people living in this area. So they want to keep this case open and alive. They do say that every year they get more and more leads and every year they follow up on them. They quote they are quoted saying in a surprise it is surprising the information that still comes in. People will call and report things saying that this has been bothering me for 30 years and I don't know if it means anything or not. And they will mention seeing a suspicious car or maybe seeing Lewis himself in the area. Each of these leads is recorded and pursued. So they are hoping to find answers to this case. They are keeping up with every single lead that comes in. They are not giving up hope and they never will give up hope as it seems from reading all of these articles, which is absolutely amazing. So hopefully one day one of those leads will be helpful and will be correct and lead them into information on anything that happened to Sarah. Um, This case is absolutely crazy, especially if he actually did recant his um, admission, which I, again, I'm not sure there wasn't a lot on that. It would just say Lewis recanted his statement and then I couldn't find anything else. So I don't know how true that is. Um, but that was the disappearance of Sarah Ann Wood. I hope you enjoyed it and I will scare you later.